This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I am Ray Harkins, and you are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast, a podcast in which we bring on people who are profoundly influenced by independent music, who are creating it, who are doing the thing. And um, yeah, we're celebrating it because after all, music is so goddamn beautiful. You know, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to bring it down immediately, but I mean, I've been having a extremely, extremely difficult week. Been having some um, real health issues with my wife. And I appreciate uh, for those of you who have reached out in some capacity and have sent, uh, you know, well wishes and all that sort of stuff. But um, it's one of those things where, I basically just revert back to anytime I'm feeling like this great amount of stress, I revert back to this, you know, me being a 14 or 15 year old boy and just listening to music. And that's exactly what I do. So hopefully music will obviously bring you solace now in the future and uh, continuing on through your whole life. Speaking of music bringing you solace, how about the guest this week? Max Bemis from Say Anything, Two Tongues. And a incredibly prolific musician because uh, this dude's been at it for quite some time, has received a lot of critical acclaim, has received a lot of fan appreciation, and um, I I was a little nervous about this conversation because we actually uh, you know full disclosure we had tried to set this up on uh, more than one occasion, and uh, you know he might have been in the middle of uh, putting together his two tongues records, and then we you know we had to move some spots and blah blah blah, but. The long and the short of it is that once we were on the phone or technically Skype, we were it was dialed in, man. Like I just uh, I love it when people show up for these things and it makes me so happy because I mean not only do I feel lucky that I get to have these conversations, but the fact that people are so engaged and excited to do this thing and Max was totally a great chat, super super open about all of his struggles with depression, um, you know, addiction, and we just went to a lot of great places, and uh, I'm just really glad to bring this to you. So, I'm recording this on uh, Tuesday, the day before, or actually, well, the day before I release it, but um, you know, election day. So, uh, hopefully, you did your civic duty and you expressed your vote, and I hope that you voted the right way. <laughs> and by the, the right way, I mean you did not vote for Donald Trump. Uh, that's just obviously my own personal opinion, and uh, hopefully, you did something that uh, you know will uh, bring. Positive change to the country or basically just kind of, you know, keep things uh, flowing along and obviously uh, don't give the uh, controls over to a person who, um, in my opinion, is unfit to be a president. So anyways, there, there's my political opinion, right? Because you're not supposed to talk about those things. But, you know, I did because that's uh, that's that's what today is and that's what today is all about. So um, one last thing before we uh, dive into the conversation with Max is um, I last night I got to watch some of my closer friends in music band Mooseblood perform here in Orange County. And um, again, kind of going back to the music as solace and therapy, however you want to look at it. You know, yesterday was a really, really tough day for me and was kind of just, you know, going through the motions and trying to distract myself um, from a lot of different things in regards to, like I said, my wife's health. But going to the show and like putting myself in the music and basically just being appreciative for what I was witnessing at that very moment. Um, you know, frankly, it just, it, it helped me a lot. And, um, I, you know, whatever, I'm 36 years old at this point, you know, you're supposed to have moved on from like independent music 
and you've grown up and you're listening to more sophisticated stuff or whatever. You know, the, all the cliched arguments that uh, get passed around for people who just don't care about music anymore. And um, I, I'm just reminded in so many capacities, in so many different ways, how uh, impactful music is. And so, yeah, I just uh, I'm really appreciative of it. And so thank you, guys in Mooseblood. I, I love you. And I am so glad that you're a band. So, yeah, like I said, Max Bemis just just dialed in. But whoa, wait, hold the phone. I, I need to tell you because this is this has been on my mind because Honestly, I, I've been doing these sort of like, you know, band plugs at the beginning of the podcast for, you know, for a while there. It's sometimes it's sporadic and sometimes I just trip across something that I, I have to talk about. And this band, Fossil Youth, is something I absolutely have to tell you about. So they have a new record. It's called A Glimpse of Self Joy, which is out on November 4th. And it's on a really, really cool record label called Take This to Heart Records. And again, it's one of those things where this is a relationship that was fostered because. The record label hit me up and was like, I love what you're doing with the podcast. There was no ulterior motive. There was no like, hey, I'd love for you to talk about this sort of thing. I'd love for you to like have this band on, even though the conversation eventually led there. And it was one of those things where uh, you sent me the record and I listened to it and I was like, man, this is really good. It's kind of, you know, it's along the sort of emotional rock vein of, you know, whatever uh, me without you. Um, There's some, you know, brand new Taking Back Sunday. Um, There's a lot of comparisons you can throw on this band, but um, I want you to draw your own conclusion. So we're going to listen to a song called Watercolor Daydream. And like I said, it's from a band called Fossil Youth. So uh, check it out. And then, um, yeah, I'll talk to you about Max and then we'll go in the interview. So here is Watercolor Daydream. Impatience all of the time And every once in a while It's followed by a brash goodbye I know I hurt you Even though I never really wanted to You said you lost faith in me For good Like when the
how about that? Right? Great stuff. Like I said, go check out the band. You can they're on tour on the West Coast from November 4th to November 23rd. And you can buy the record at takethistoheartrecords.com or you can visit the band's website, fossilyouth.com. So thanks for creating good music, dudes. And um, like I said, Max is just, uh, I, I love this conversation. So I can't wait to bring it to you. And that's what I'm going to do exactly right now. So uh, yeah, I will talk to you after the episode is over. So I was, uh, let's see, I, when when Israel Boy came out, I was working at a independent record store here in Southern California. Um, oh, nice. Small, small chain. Where in Southern California? Uh, Orange County in particular. So like about, you know. Oh, nice. I grew up in this sort of area, yeah. You grew up in L.A., right? I did, yeah. Right. So, yeah, it was a small chain in Orange County oh. called Bionic Records. But, uh, you know, I was, like, the mm. main buyer for these stores. And so, like, I was buying anything, like, you know, punk, hardcore, indie rock. Right, of course. So it, it was one of those things where it's like I always noticed, obviously, because I started to sell a lot of a certain thing when bands started to, you know, kind of get momentum. And it was like, oh, it's a problem, you know, stocking these CDs or whatever. Mm. And um, it, the, the thing that always was intriguing for me, especially with Say Anything and obviously that that record in particular, was the people buying it. It's like, you know, you have... <laughs> Honestly, I mean, because I'm not being like judgmental record store dude. No, 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 no. It was weird, but I'm curious to see why you thought it was. But totally. Yeah, so it's like, because, you know, usually I could, you know, peg a kid walking in with a, you know, a certain hardcore band t-shirt and be like, okay, I, right. I know what they're coming in Bang. to buy. Yeah. Right. And so then, but then the people that, that walked in and bought your record, it was like, you know, you couldn't, there was literally no definition. It was like, you know, obviously like yeah. a punk kid, but then there was like, oh wow, I've never seen you in an independent record store before or this store. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. Um, did, I, I presume because you were laughing and obviously you noticed that yourself, like, did, yeah, did, yeah. did it feel like you were obviously just pulling from kind of, you know, teenagers in general, as opposed to like a scene? Yeah, you know, it was weird. Right at the beginning, the craziest part about Israel Boy was, um, you know, I got pulled into this sort of quote-unquote scene, which was really diverse at the time, but it was really close-knit. In, in L.A., there was a bunch of, like, uh, people working together um, from different labels, mostly from Boston, because we were signed to Doghouse. Yep, exactly. But, like, Hydrahead Records was in the same office, and uh, Big Wheel, and all these bands that were kind of all over the, the place with, like, hardcore and uh, punk and emo. Um, and so, you know, we kind of were thrust into a pretty mixed world, and when we first came out with it, there were people like at least that I respected who were like literally like 28 year old dudes, you know, um, who liked hot water music and stuff who liked us. And then there were like, you know, really young teens and there was the, the whole scene kid thing. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty broad. And I mean, that's exactly what I wanted out of it. Um, and I didn't want to ever exclude anyone, uh, even as much as that first record seems to kind of hate on, uh, hipsters is a quote unquote an indie culture. I mean, that was even a part of it as well. So, you know, that's something that I'm proud of even to this day that there's any kind of like that we're not really peg a bull, I guess. And, you know, it's kind of gone back and forth and we ended up now in a place where it's kind of come full circle where like some of those teens are now 28 year old dudes or girls. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird demographic. Yeah. 
Although you, it's funny, you mentioned that. I, I, I mean, obviously, I knew it came out of Doghouse, but it was like, yeah, there was yeah. Obvi- there was obviously that that collective label. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You had obviously it was what was it called, Lumberjack distribution, yeah, Lumberjack distribution or whatever. Yeah, or, right, exactly. But then, um, yeah, you definitely saw those. You know, uh, obviously, in the early two thousands, people still attached themselves to a particular record label. You know, they cared. About, yeah, 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 yeah. They cared about everything that came out on it, as opposed to you That's know so now where it's obviously yeah. so fractured. It doesn't mean anything but yeah yeah um, yeah that's interesting so that you, you did obviously find some sort of built-in fan base so to speak in regards to people who like oh yeah it was it was really limited um you know but but perfect in a way because um at the time that that scene was blossoming people kind of think of us as coming up i guess some people think of us as coming up at the same time of a lot of bands whether that be like the get up kids or brand new or, you know, taking back Sunday and stuff like that. But in reality, we, we kind of came into the picture after those bands were starting to get big. Mm-hmm. Um, so the built in fan base was actually pretty broad. If one of those bands like, you know, hot rod circuit took us on tour and, um, recover took us on tour. So if you, you were to go on tour with any of those bands, you know, you're playing like these packed, awesome shows where everyone kind of listens to each other's bands and, um, the built-in fan base was pretty incredible. I mean, you say a lot of this, uh, you see a lot of that same stuff now with bands on like run for cover or something where it's just like all the bands are friends and you play a tour with any of these bands and it, there's actually, you know, people who just, like you said, are devoted to labels or, you know, sort of the collective bandness or just go to every show. That's kind of like, up that alley. So, you know, like, whereas it, it was a big thing to, to be let into that quickly. And, you know, our booking agent, Andrew, um, was booked all those bands and, you know, doghouse, all that stuff. I mean, it was huge for me. Uh, I, it was, it seemed like a huge deal and it still feels like a huge deal that, you know, some bands never get to be on a label, let alone led into such a like obvious scene that, you know, embraces indie bands quickly. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. You feel like the, uh, when you step into a, a wave, you know, pardon the, pardon the metaphor, but like, you know, you, you, step on like a surfboard that other people have obviously like, you know, been riding right. and you're like, Oh my gosh, like this yeah. is a thing. And then, yeah, it's, it's so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's obviously interesting to track that change, but. And I was, I was a big fan of the bands too, you know, like a lot of, a lot of bands kind of purport that they didn't like that music. We were just part of it. You know, we got swept up in it, but I was like a little fanboy, you know? Um, so, so being a part of that was like, kind of like, I grew up in LA. So like actual celebrities don't really do anything for me. There's like a lot of them annoy me. Uh, but you know, meeting Matt Pryor for the first time or meeting Chris for the first time was like meeting Elvis, you know, like they don't, they don't understand it. Um, but yeah, no, that's amazing. So you kind of reflecting on, on you yourself, you were originally born in, in New York city proper or just the state. I was born in New York city proper, but I moved like right around, three years old so i have no memory really of it yeah right la was was the dominant thing yeah because you moved out here because your uh your father was in the is is he was he in the movie business or entertainment industry he was he um he uh he made he was he's an amazing guy a graphic designer and he started doing graphic design and advertising he actually did the cover to is a real boy uh but he 
he he's made movie posters all his life. He just retired, but he was like a pretty groundbreaking dude in the world of movie posters and tried to kind of make them artful instead of just like a really badly photoshopped picture of Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. So like, uh, so he, he, he was always a, a big inspiration, but yeah, that's why he, he moved to LA, but he always kind of hated that part of it. The CD. Right. You know? Well, yeah, it wasn't like he was like a Hollywood dude. He was like totally <laughs> anti. <laughs> well, tell, well, I mean, when you're when you're describing yeah. a person who is involved in the entertainment industry as being dedicated yeah. to the graphic arts, like yeah, they're not like yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to you know rub elbows and hobnob with. Oh them. God, yeah, no, he has extreme social anxiety and just like a lot of anger. <laughs> he was not excited <laughs> to hobnob with anyone, but he's a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah that's that, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, and so then, uh, did you, you know what, what was your family structure? like growing up like both mom and dad in the picture uh-huh. do you have brothers and sisters yeah they were both in the picture i had a little brother six years younger than me kind of had an idyllic um childhood really um a lot of love a lot of support for what i did you know when i formed the band i was 15 and my mom would sling merch for us and like you know it was nice. like very you know things got dark for me around that age but up till then um yeah, I have no complaints about my childhood, really, except for you can always psychoanalyze anything. Oh, and, of course, right. Yeah, you know, you, figure out why I'm so messed up. Right. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but in reality, they were great. And, um, you know, school was good up until my teen years, and then I just became angsty like everyone does, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, <laughs> so, pri- I mean, pri- prior to that, like, did you feel like you had any real uh, sort of identity? Like, you know, were you a sports dude? Were you into the arts? Like, where yeah. did you kind of find yourself being? I was like a movie games comics music dude so uh you know not like a art geek or a punk or anything like that even though i like punk music um i was just kind of a you know and nor was i like particularly unpopular or popular I, I guess i went to schools where that wasn't as much of a thing there wasn't as much of a social hierarchy it was a little more complicated in la mm-hmm. um like it was just very under the surface and classism and stuff rather than like, you know, there's the geeks and the punks and we're getting beat up in the fucking, you know, it it wasn't like that. Um, but no, I was always weird. I was always kind of a kooky eccentric, very, um, naive up until my later teens, even, even up till college around the year, I was very naive. I was was like a late bloomer. I didn't have my first girlfriend until college. Um, so yeah, it was very normal on the surface. Right. right. <laughs> and, so yeah. then, and then obviously it's like, once you started to, like you said, once music started to come into play and yeah, yeah. obviously started to, f- to form the band, um, what, you know, I, I guess obviously because you've, you've reflected on it for quite some time, I'm sure. Um, you yeah, know, where did yeah. the, where did the angst kind of derive from? Was it one of those things like, you know, you were, yeah. you know, where did it, where did it, it come from? It, um, it's kind of where it is now, you know, for a while I directed it myself and kind of like individuals or groups of people and just kind of marginalized and for a while there in my twenties and late teens. But in reality, what I've always kind of been angsty about even now is society and the world and how it's run and the systems that are set in place and kind of how people are treated. I always felt that the world is not compassionate enough. Um, We're kind of like living in an illusion um, that keeps us being mean to each other. I mean, when I was younger, it was, it was less tangible because I would just look at 
the world around me and be like, why is this happening? How is there even homeless people? And now, you know, I'm a little more jaded and, you know, I, I see more of the, you know, I'm a little more of the political like end of it and why it's like that. But mm-hmm. in reality, it's just kind of a naive hippy dippy way of looking at the world where I just feel like we should all love each other and be kind. And that was not happening. Um, even if I wasn't the brunt of it, there was some of that towards me not too much, but I saw it happening all around me and it was pervasive and it, you know, eventually kind of depressed me even as I, um, started just, just like late puberty and teens, it started to depress me and make me angry. And, you know, it would come out in the form of like, how I related to people or certain relationships or girls, all that stuff. It was always through the realm of like, man, things just seem kind of dark and I wish they were, people were nicer to each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really, uh, I like that description because you do feel, I mean, obviously those years are so tumultuous for everybody in some capacity, but the, the feeling that you don't have control, you know, like you don't have control, obviously for you, it was obviously the compassion and that, that angle, but then, you know, whereas other people feel like they can't control their life because like, Oh, I'm told to go to school and make these choices. Yeah, exactly. But the, um, I felt out of power. Um, my, my, my mom's parents were Holocaust survivors. So I was really aware of like, genocide and stuff like that and just how bad society can get when it's bad and I would look around me and be like you're right there was a certain powerlessness to it but I was always just like trying to do something to change it at all times every song I wrote was an attempt to like chisel away at that it still is you know Um, uh, there's more to it now I think than just that pure idealistic but um, at the time it was just very much so like you know I was actually I didn't understand anarchism or nihilism or any of that stuff and that stuff pissed me off the most especially as someone who was like into punk music Yeah, I'd listen to bands and I'd be like god damn it like yeah I get hating the man but this seems like exclusionary or like whatever the word is it's you're excluding people by the virtue of being so anti so that was always in there too it started out with punk, recognizing that in punk music. Like my favorite, one of my favorite bands was No Effects. But I was like, these guys are dicks. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I lo- and by the way, like Pat Mike is one of my favorite people now. I get that shtick a lot more. But as a 13 year old boy, I'm like, dude, you're you're being a dick to a lot of people, even though you want people to stop being dicks. So that was like a big thing for me um, to to get me into writing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really interesting. I, I definitely identify with that. I mean, I myself, I'm yeah. whatever, I'm 36 years old and I'm still straight edge, and the, like I just always remember. Yeah listening to no effects and like I, I still love the band but it was like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. when they're when they're taking the piss out of uh you know minor threat straight edge i'm like hey guys yeah. that's mean like <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, exactly anyone is is a target and i'm sure even in the straight edge community like you get that with people who are you know looking down on people who are not straight edge totally. or people who are looking down on people who are straight edge who are not you know it's just it's endless any group of people even the most righteous, cool people will get off on excluding people uh, unless they can check themselves and be woke, so to speak. Right, right, um, right. Yeah. No, no, totally. I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and so then obviously you're, like you said, the uh, the manifestation of you know you feeling you know helpless and obviously using music to try to rally against it. But obviously, yeah, like yeah. you said, it puts you in a very dark place mentally. Like, did you you know with yeah. all those things? Like, obviously, your I presume your parents noticed. Like, were people like, okay, we were really oh, concerned yeah. about Max. 
you know, they weren't, no one was really that concerned until I fully went nuts, which was, you know, 19. And it was so blatant that like, it was hard to ignore because before then I was just kind of a tip. It appeared to be just like, and by all, you know, it kind of just was a teenager who smoked weed all the time and was kind of depressed about life. And, you know, um, Inside things were really bubbling up because that that bipolar stuff. First of all, there was the I was a you know very anxious, um, you know deep, you know not in a good way kid. Um, and then if the bipolar, if the chemical imbalance thing comes into play, that that starts to well up around your late teens. So, but no one really saw it until I had a full on break from reality, and that was I was already away from my family. I was in Brooklyn. Uh, recording the record when that happened. So, you know, people, even, even like Tim, the producer and Kobe, my drummer at the time, like, like Max is a kook. He loves to get stoned and he's super into like all these crazy ideas about life. But like, no one thought I would have a full on break from reality. It wasn't drawn out. So when that happened, it was just blatant. And they're like, get him to the hospital. And I went and it, you know, that went on for a few years. Right. So it was, it was obvious, you know, it was obvious. Like I still have problems, but no one's gonna, because I take pills. So I'm not crazy in that way. Sure. No one's going to be like, if someone will be like, Max, you seem down today. You're okay. But they're not going to be like, damn dude, what's up with you? You know, that, that was like, you know, yeah, that was that was blatant, and it was just for like you know from from ages nineteen to probably twenty two or twenty three. It was actually a really short amount of time mm-hmm. in the scheme of my life. But uh, well, yeah, yeah, no one. But it's really intense. Yeah. <laughs> it was super intense. It was like just one of the crit. That was the darkest, craziest period of my life for multiple reasons. I mean, I was in a horrible relationship. I mean, horrible whatever. It was not good, um, and I was having a hard time, kind of definitely dealing with the the bipolar stuff and also just just realizing I couldn't smoke pot because I love smoking pot um and uh and also just yeah just kind of drifting about aimlessly I was single at times and you know I was never really promiscuous or anything but like grappling with my whole you know identity in multiple ways so it was this listless drifting time and and it got resolved by a few sort of choice events, you know, getting healthy, um, ending that relationship and, you know, eventually meeting my wife. So really most of my life has been spent in that kind of happier place, but it definitely went real dark. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, and especially the two, cause yeah. I mean, the, those ages too is when obviously say anything was, was, you know, very active yeah. from a tour yeah. perspective. So you add that to the oh, yeah. too. Yeah, it got, I mean, that's what was really crazy about it. And it, it kind of ties into, you know, these kinds of weird existential experiences that I kind of base my spirituality around, like magic and weird stuff like that. Um, where it was like, well, my delusions were not that false. It was just that I couldn't, my chemicals, they were overwhelming me and making me, you know, see things that not see things physically, but think things that were not true, but what, where they came from, including, like you said, because our band was getting big, some of that like messianic shit and like Mm -hmm. what would happen to me later in life. It weirdly echoed some of the like premonitions I had when I was crazy. Um, and you know, my, it's really weird. You know, just life is so bizarre in that way. So, so, you know, it was, 
it, it, the fact that we were in a band that was kind of getting big at the time definitely inflated the crazy. Um, well, and I've, but it wasn't, yeah. And well, I'm sure not to not to interrupt, but I'm sure oh, no, no, no. that uh, I mean, obviously, you you know, a lot of people derive a lot of art from you know their negative feelings, negative experiences, and everything. And clearly, yeah. you know, your, the records that you wrote during that time were reflective of that. But at the same, oh, yeah. But at the same time, it's like. I just find, you know, I honestly, it's like I empathize with with your experience because of the fact that you were, you know, here you are getting up there expressing yourself. and Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like, this is great. Max is incredible. And then you're just like, you know, but I fucking hate myself. And like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, it's just this huge, this wild swing back and forth to everything that you're already dealing with. Yeah. There's a lot of inner pressure, too. Like I said, it all started with me wanting to kind of save the world. Um, and kind of the moral to that whole period of my life um, ended up being just like, do what you can and try really hard. But, you you know, that is how you're gonna, everyone's going to say it. But you just put out your energy into the world, try your hardest, and you can't change things you can't change. You know, whether that be about yourself or society, you can change a lot. We can all change a lot if we work together, but you're not. Jesus or you're not God himself. So, you know, you can't, you can't do it. No one should have to take on that burden. Let it go. Dude was basically the moral of my story up up through my early twenties. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really, I, I like that because you do, like you see where that comes from in the sense of like, cause every, every person that gets attracted to a subculture clearly yeah. wants something to change, you know, like whether, oh, yeah. whether yeah. it's music or whether it's some other, you know, weird thing that people get into. Um, yeah, it's that's not, art. yeah, exactly. And that you want to change something on some fundamental level. So when you feel like you, you know, when you're obviously taking up the, like you said, the, the burden of saving the world on your shoulders. Um, and then when you get yeah. relinquished of that responsibility, it's like, Oh, so I could just work. <laughs> I could just work on myself for a minute. Really? Yeah. And life is so fun and awesome. You know, I was like, geez, I'm allowed to be happy in there. And then, you know, like ever since then, music has been and art has come from a lot more complex of a place because I'm I'm still drawing on some of those dark things. But once you, it's kind of one dimensional, you know, if you, if you write about the same shit, if you live the same boring, closed minded, angry life, your whole life, you're not going to really be tapping into the richness of, of reality. And there's so much more to it than that. There's sad times and happy times. And, you know, um, if it wasn't for the, you know, illusion of it, I think the people who really listen to my music and actually listen to it still, or, you know, take the time to whatever, check it out. Like they, they hear that I'm still upset, quite upset at times. And that definitely hasn't changed, but, um, you know, I mean, it would be sad. I think if I was a 30 year old guy and I'm talking about phone sex and right. suicide and totally. it would definitely be really sad you yeah, know absolutely because <laughs> yeah because i mean i think people theoretically obviously if they they care about the art and they watch an artist develop yeah. it's it's really tough because i you know i think obviously within the context of of this subculture as well you know independent music you you know so many people are forced to you know grow up in some you know weird limelight like it doesn't and i don't yeah. mean that, like you said in the the no 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 yeah, largest sure. sense yeah. of the term of like oh here we are yeah. thrust on you know entertainment weekly or anything but it's like right, you, right. you still have to grow up in front of you know two to three hundred people a night 
And then yeah. the moment that they don't feel like you're supplying them with what they need, they'll yeah. they'll move on yeah. and you're just like, but I'm still here. Like I don't I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, my my whole thing really it wasn't so much that because thank God as of now we had, it could totally happen. I always dread it every tour that will show up and no one's there, you know? But um what really what it was and it really ties into kind of what we were talking about before was that you know, we got pretty quickly to the point I wanted to be when I was a kid and when I was dreaming about being in a band, we got even bigger than that very quickly. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is great. And, um, but then, you know, and I don't want to seem like I'm knocking them cause they're awesome. And there were so many cool people who worked there. But then when we kind of, when we signed to a major label, um, or not so much when we signed, but once, we did well enough that they realized that we could be a very big, very, very, very big band. Right. You know, that was the, on um, that was the agenda. Um, and I never sacrificed my integrity for it, but at the same time it was an undercurrent of everything. So like as much as we were a band that it's weird, like we got to the point of, um, you know, being able to, you know, sell out house of blues or a little bit bigger type venues across the country. Right. When we were really young, and they're like, okay, but you should be the next Green Day or whatever, the next Weezer or whatever. Okay, so now we're still playing those same size venues, but I'm just stoked. Um, whereas at the time, you know, there'd be these little things, like whether it is like, you know, you get reviewed in Rolling Stone or we get some, we do a big tour or our video wins some weird MTV award. And it's kind of like, those are not that those things are bad, but they were little tastes of like the, the, the like temptation, the snake. (laughs) So I was just like, okay, I had that in me, especially with that Messiah complex. So I was like, okay, like, let's do this. We're going to be like you too, but cool. And it's self deprecating, (laughs) you know, like really like that was my goal. And it was the goal up until we kind of like had a really weird restructuring in the band. We got off that label, signed to Equal Vision. There was lineup changes and management changes. And now it's, you know, I'm not trying to be like naive, but it really is purely for the like, God, I'm so thankful for where we are. I, I can't even imagine it getting better. I love making music. I just want to keep making music. I love seeing kids sing along at shows and jump around and go crazy. This is fucking awesome. You know, whereas before the only disappointment and like weird issues I felt was just not coming. It was that age where, where major labels would sign indie bands and they're like, this is the next strokes. This is the next green game. This is the next Beatles. So it was like, you had to be the next something. It wasn't okay to just be as big as you wanted to be when you were a kid. Um, and that's something I got over. Yeah. Oh no. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. When you, when you have to make, when you make the realization that like, Hey, this, this thing that I'm doing obviously is, you know, is not going to last forever, but I want, I want a version of it to last for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the thing is like, you do have people who are in indie rock bands that just know what everyone takes for granted kind of that have been doing it forever. Um, and we'll probably do it until they die in some shape or form. And that's actually, especially in this day and age with the internet, it's a realistic goal. You know, you can put, even if you didn't have a label, you could put out stuff on your own. People will listen to it. The people who love you will find it. And people will usually come and see you at a show, even if it's a super small show. 
Um, thankfully, we have a label and things are okay and good right now on the live side. But if it ever got to the point where I was like, I had to do something else to support myself, uh, which I hope doesn't happen, mind you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I could, I doubt I, of course I wouldn't stop making music. I might take a little break and be like, God damn it. I, you know, but, um, you know, there's, there's no reason to stop, especially in my band where the band is me. So I don't have to worry about other people leaving or <laughs> totally. It's you. Why would I stop? <laughs> you know, there's literally no reason. I'm very, very excited to tell you about this amazing sponsor that we have on the show. So pardon the interruption. I'll get back to Max in a minute. But most of you have probably heard or at least heard someone speak about Berkeley College of Music. So it is the creme de la creme of music school. Whether you're a performer, whether you're a songwriter, whether you want to be in the music business, they don't mess around. They're located in Boston, Massachusetts. And so, you know, a lot of people are just like, well, that'd be cool one day if I could go there. But I don't have the money. I can't move to Boston. Dude, check it out. So they offer online courses and programs that are taught entirely on the internet. So you never need to go to Boston, Massachusetts and enroll and live there and do all that. Whether you're a musician, a producer, a songwriter, or an industry professional, Berkeley Online has the program that is right for you. I'm pointing at you. Berkeley Online offers courses and programs for all skill levels, even if you're just a beginner and getting started or if you're a seasoned vet. Courses and certificate programs are open enrollment, so there's no admission or application process. Berkeley's online classrooms are super interactive. Classes are capped at 20 students, so you'll always be able to speak to your instructor. Berkeley Online also offers fully accredited online bachelor's degree program. Degree majors include music production, music business, guitar, songwriting, and more. And tuition for this is 64% less than if you were to actually attend it in Boston. So please go to online.berkeley, that's B-E-R-K-L-E-E dot E-D-U slash words. Please, this is an amazing school. They do not mess around. They bring in professional people who have done the damn thing. Like, I totally remember a music business class that I took at a local community college, and they had a guy talking to me about sheet music. This is in the 90s, people. This You are not going to have that experience at Berkeley Online School. They have people who know what they're talking about, who've done the damn thing, and want to pass along that knowledge to you. It's incredible. I could not be more passionate about this. So like I said, go to online.berkeley.edu slash words and get smarter and come hang out in the music business or come hang out and perform for me, okay? Because who knows? Maybe one day I'll bring you on the show. All right. Here's my, the rest of my conversation with Max. I mean, say say anything is your first band, right? Like, or did you have? It was, yeah, 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 and that's that's weird, you know. That doesn't happen, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, normally yeah, you. You, yeah. you should have like maybe one or two terrible punk bands that right have horrible former bands. members of yeah, like yeah, the or, Fruity Tooties, right. you know, like yeah, whatever. Exactly. Totally, actually, a Blink One Eighty Two cover band. I mean, we were kind of, but, like, we just, <laughs> but you, you were know, just called yeah. Sandy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I love that. I love that it's there's continuity and a, a really long story to it. And a lot of the bands I admire um, have that. Right. You know, it's like there's just a crazy trajectory of evolution, no matter what your success is. It's just, you know, everything. It's almost a story. You know, all the songs tell a story and, and the artistic growth tells a story. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so when you, uh, obviously those years that you were, you know, touring, I mean, you obviously still tour, but, um, the experience of you kind of, you know, just being like you mentioned before, obviously you're in the yeah. machine, you know, you're like, okay, well I'm, I'm, we're doing this because there's momentum and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Did you enjoy like the touring experience and kind of that, that, oh, yeah. that visceral connection? Always loved it. Always loved it. I mean, there were times where I was exhausted and wanted to like see, get home and see my family. There's always that. That's yeah. just part of it. Like any job, but it hasn't gotten old for me ever. Um, there's definitely been shows where I'm sick or, um, that time I threw up on stage and then they showed it on the internet for everyone. Um, right. you know, there's been a few incidents where it's not exactly comfortable, but I've never had like a blase attitude. It's part of just the fact that, man, I just don't take it for granted. Cause I was the kid at that show. You know, they were my, the peak of my going to shows and like my favorite shows was when the bands were playing venues that are pretty much the size that we have always played because like I said, we got to a certain point, we didn't get bigger and we haven't gotten smaller. Um, so, you know, those are my favorite. When I used to go see Saves a Day and like the Vagrant Across America tour and like it would be at the House of Blues in LA and I'm like, oh my God, there's like a thousand people here, like 800 people screaming along to this heartfelt song. I'm like, I know we'll never get there, but man, that'd be freaking cool. I didn't even think it would really happen. And the fact that it has happened I'm just still, I can be the person in the crowd. I, I feel like I've become part of the audience when we're playing and I just want, I try to see it through their eyes as well as my own. And it's really powerful. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you always want to kind of root yourself within that, um, that mind, mind frame, because then if you get too far yeah. removed from that, you don't even remember why you're doing it in the first place. Yeah. You're like, what am I doing? This is silly. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But obviously if you've seen me play, I don't worry about that you know so you're, yeah, you're good pretty, looking like a complete fool pretty pretty loose and limber up there not not in a good way but uh right yeah. <laughs> and so you obviously because you know say anything has has ostensibly been your um you know your your sole uh, vision from that perspective obviously working with a variety of people throughout the years to you know uh bring that vision to fruition um yeah a lot of the business stuff has obviously fallen on your your lap i presume did yeah you, did you kind of take to that right away or was that one of those things yeah that I had to learn. Yeah. yeah, I did because it was fun, you know, um, and it's still fun for me. I mean, it's especially fun now because I'm on a badass label that lets me do what I want. Um, and we even got lucky. We had a cool A&R guy at the label we were at. And right until the end, that's when they started to, like, get whack and try to make us do really embarrassing, stupid shit. Um, but literally the whole time it's been this cool adventure and all the things we decide on, whether it's like album art or um, how to make a video or how do we present this tour? Who do we want to tour with these? I mean, that's fun stuff. I know it's not fun for everyone, but for me, um, the whole idea of being in a band and the practices behind it, if you're coming from a good place, it can be a really fun thing. Cause it's like, I'm a spoiled fuck. Like think about what so many people have to do for a job or people who are like starving on the street. And I'm like, Oh, I have to worry about this, right. you know, like, right. Oh God. God you know, we, should, like, we should be getting a hundred dollars more a night because of this or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm seriously, because like I just wrote a song like seriously, anyone can do that. I mean, I, it is a lot of luck. You know, like, I'm not saying talent doesn't exist, but also luck and circumstance has a lot to do with it. And just like, I never forget that. And I'm just like, 
I always wanted to be in a band. I don't want to be doing anything else except for my writing, which I'm also doing. So like, what's the problem here? You know, like, you know, the business is hard sometimes, but it's like, this is what it takes. And it's, it involves fun, creative stuff mm-hmm. mostly. Yeah, no, it's cool. Cause it, it, it's, a, I always find it interesting cause usually you have one or two people. If it is a, in the, the context of a band, you got yeah, one yeah. or two people that kind of yeah. handle that. Um, and then, you know, the other two or three people in the band just like, don't care about it all. They're just like, do whatever, man. Or, yeah. or they yeah. just, like, it would be bad if I was one of those. Right. <laughs> totally. yeah. You got no choice. Uh, step up. <laughs> the, uh, and then, uh, you know, kind of reflecting obviously on the, um, you know, like, like you actually mentioned earlier, the idea that, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, uh, obviously you, you have no problem medicating yourself. Like once you understood yeah. the chemical imbalance within yourself, um, was it, yeah. was it one of those things? I presume it was a struggle in some capacity trying to get to a place where you felt comfortable enough to take those. Cause I know I've had many friends. Yeah. Who, who yeah. It was a little bit of, yeah. It was a little bit of a struggle. I didn't really struggle that much with taking the pills. I think, you know, stopping weed was a little bit of a struggle, but it's not too addictive. It's not technically addictive at all, but like mentally I was like hooked on it. I really liked it. So stopping to smoke, knowing it was bad for me in particular, not that it's that bad of a thing in general was, was hard. Um, uh, it was mostly the self, uh, the, the wanting to be stable, um, because that's what the meds do. And I started doing that. I started taking the meds regularly. I realized that my psyche and like my chemicals were stable, but I still was doing stuff that was childish and immature and put me in positions that were like a basic drama queen, early twenties, you know, like, yeah. uh, everyone's been there, but, but, you know, I had to get to the point where it got old and I'm just like, okay, what was I doing again for the past five years? Like I, I, Oh yeah, this is what I wanted out of life. And then I tried, you know, I kind of went in that direction and meds were part of that and not doing drugs were part of that. And, uh, you know, Sherry was a part of that. Um, so, so it was, it was kind of that overall transformation was a little harder to do than just, the taking of the meds. That wasn't that big of a deal. Cause they're like, you are bipolar. It's not like I could have disputed. <laughs> right. I was totally off the rails. Cause I what? totally. Yeah. You're like, I, this is indisputable. Like clearly I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I agreed from the beginning. I was just like, uh, okay. It wasn't like too much of a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and did you find yourself obviously like you, you know, you mentioned earlier or, you know, whatever uh, people catch you throwing up on stage and obviously it becomes a thing yeah, on the internet. Yeah. Did you find yourself like obviously in those, those years kind of struggling with that sort of the, the public persona that is Max Beam, yeah. like your reputation preceding yeah. you? Um, or was yeah. it, or did you just try to ignore it in certain respects? You know, like maybe it's cause I just like stuck to, there are certain places when you're in this community uh, and when you're in the entertainment industry, to, you know, at all, you should not go. And message boards, for instance, is one of them because 
the dev, there's awesome people on message boards. There's dickish people. There's normal people who aren't, you know, either way. But it is a concentrated group of people who want to go out and they seek out a community of speaking opinion. So there's a lot of concentrated opinion there, positive or negative, you know. So when I was younger, I'd like scroll through and be like, oh, my God, this is the best band ever. Thank God for them. And then the next one is like, this guy needs to die. He should have stopped when he, before he quit make, you know, started taking pills and quit smoking weed. So it's the most negative, you know, negative or positive. It's all fluff. So it's really something that unless you're just like really emotionally resilient and curious, you should avoid. So I did avoid that stuff most of my life. And so I didn't, there was some flack from like getting married, um, and not doing drugs and not writing about like utterly hopeless shit that I got. But it wasn't that bad. I, I really can't complain too much. Um, I think maybe just because I was always pretty transparent with our real fans and with the general public. So it, it was, it's just never been that bad or, or, you know, or at the same time that glorious, you know, I, I know, I, I think people have always been like that guy's a, it's like a Larry David type character where they're, you know, yeah. no one looks at me and is like, he's like, he's just immaculate where it's like, for instance, like Jesse Lacey or something where like, yeah. or, or, or the singer modest mouse or Morrissey where they're just like, Ooh. And then if he did one thing to like screw up the image, it'd be over. Whereas me, it's kind of like, here's this schlubby guy who could kind of do anything and it's all within reason. And he seems to be pretty honest about it. So people just like, weren't really that surprised i think and if they were it was a, a minority yeah no that that yeah that that, that definitely makes sense because yeah when you're not <laughs> when people obviously uh expect something from you and then you don't give yeah. it to them it, they're just kind of like oh it just kind of goes away pretty quickly yeah i never promised that much you know i was like <laughs> that's good I, I think i've upheld anything that i did promise about the world or my values um generally you know like 90 you know, yeah so <laughs> that's cool um, and so when you, uh, obviously when you were, like you were mentioning earlier, the, uh, you know, when you guys were thrust into certain situations that were kind of like, yeah. oh, this is weird. Like we're getting nominated for an MTV award or whatever, all, all yeah. these sort of like surreal circumstances. Um, you know, does, does one or two moments kind of stick out to you of being like, dude, this is, I mean, I know they all in some respects yeah. are pretty cool, but you know, was there, yeah. was there one that just kind of like, oh my gosh, this momentum is like, I, I don't even know where we're at right now. You know, uh, man, it's for me, it's harder to think of things that were indicative of our momentum. I, I remember it started to all blur together after a while when we were on the majors. Like when we, when Israel boy got big, I remember a lot of things during that period that were really cool, like going to New Jersey, um, where all my favorite bands were from and playing this, you know, decent sized club and having kids sing along like it was so seldom in California. As you know, it's like not as, <laughs> I mean, maybe in Orange County, there's a pretty cool yeah, scene, San, but not in LA. It's a different beast. You know, I was like, all I wanted to be was like a kid from Jersey or something, you know? So going there and like, you know, and like our first few times where we would, you know, we played bamboozle or skate and surf and like we were the first band on i'm like what the hell is gonna happen i had no idea and then you see the sea of people singing along that's pretty crazy you know but that was early on <laughs> and once we started to like 
you know, get things like weird mainstream recognition. Like I almost like it would take effort to go in and think about things that really impressed me. Partially, I think because my goals were so lofty and partially because I didn't really inwardly care about any of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I remember things like meeting Chris Conley for the first time and him being a huge fan of my band. And that was probably to this day. I think that's the coolest professional moment of my life. Right. Cause Chris is like my favorite singer songwriter dude. And like, he was the guy I looked up to from the beginning of being in a band. Um, so like that was life altering and, you know, just, just all that stuff, you know, um, I remember when Andrew are booking it, like it's almost mundane stuff to people, but just, you know, like getting our booking agent who was like the biggest booking agent in the scene, things like that, that like, you know, aren't necessarily big, but they're you know, still huge. Milestone. They're, but they're yeah. Huge. To me as a kid, they were huge. And then it was kind of like, Oh, I'm happy. And everything else kind of just blurred. Yeah. Oh. Oh, no, for sure. It's totally it's, yeah. it, th- those things that, yeah. Cause it doesn't even need to be like, Oh, I remember the time we played in front of 25,000 people. Like the, you know, yeah, those, those, those things were not even that cool. Like I feel like our biggest show, some of the festival shows were really awesome where people were just going crazy, but I'm sure our biggest show is like opening for <clears throat> dashboard or something. It's like radio city music hall. And I just like, that was cool. I love, you know, Chris and stuff, but like, that wasn't as cool even as playing, you know, before like even like a tour that we're going to do this year where we play in front of like 800 to a thousand kids and they all know the words to like a new song. That's, that's cool. Yeah. You know, absolutely. That's meaningful. Um, yeah. and you, uh, I mean, obviously you, you enjoy very, very much to collaborate. Um, you know, it's been, you know, almost on every single one of your records, you've obviously collaborated with other musicians and then obviously with your two two tongues project with Chris. Um, is it, uh, is it just one of those things? Cause you know, I know a lot of people that, that kind of, you know, work under the, the circumstances that you have, or like you said, say anything, yeah. you, um, yeah. sometimes don't like to collaborate, you know, you're just like, yeah. maybe you're going to have like a guest vocal part here or there, but like you've always yeah. been like, no dude, like we're in it. You're going to be like, yeah. you're going to be super committed to this. So like, was that sense of collaboration yeah. always something that you really wanted to foster within the context of the band? You know, it wasn't actually because I started out doing everything really except for drums and there was some bass um, <clears throat> done by my buddy in high school and we were a band um, and Kobe did, you know, a, a lot in terms of writing drum parts and everything. But when it came to Is A Real Boy and like our stuff we did on our own before that, it was all me and I was OCD and obsessive and only I could do it. I was never hard on anyone or mean, but like I was hard on myself and I needed things to sound perfectly exactly how I wanted them to be. Um, and then I think in defense kind of was like a big turning point because like having all those people sing on it, I started to realize how much cooler other people are at doing stuff, you know, like not necessarily all the time, but like it totally can be and you never know. So why not try? Um, I, I, you know, I let Alex was our bass player and he came up with all his bass parts and they were so much cooler than I could have done for that record in my opinion. And, you know, I stopped, I think I stopped being as anal. I was a little anal on the self-titled record. And then after that, it was like, I don't know. It just became a foot. It's like one of the only, not the only, but like 
it's 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 honestly what turns me on a lot about making songs now seeing what other people do with it and it's becoming something other than like what's in my own head because you know if you if when you write a song it kind of just loops in your head forever and you have this kind of arbitrary arrangement for it in your head and it's just like okay if i just hear this put out the way it's been going on in my head for six months i'm gonna kill myself and then have to play it over and over again whereas if someone plays some kind of crazy drum part or a weird loop or whatever they do or you know changing lyrics even it's like wow i can listen to this i can actually enjoy this you know i can listen to the things I can listen to the most are the things that I collaborate with and to enjoy it. Like I cannot listen to is a real boy because it's all me. Right. And it's just so, I just know how much effort everything took. It reeks of effort as Chris Conley says, <laughs> not, not about that record. He right. loves that record, but he does say that about things. And to me, it reeks of effort. <laughs> Right. No, I really I like that because I, I mean, I know, I mean, just for a lot you and I have many mutual friends in regards to um, just whatever, like, you know, Jeremy from Touche Amore and some other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not doing name drops, but just the, the nature in which oh, yeah. you approached uh, the people doing vocals, you yeah. know, it was basically you just like you sent it through and you were just like, yo, do what you want. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I got, it's weird that I do that. I mean, I, I forget that. Um until I hear it and then I'm like I had nothing to do with that that was you know that was all Jeremy and so now more more than ever I I tend to do that um it was subconscious at first I was just like wait he's so good let him do it and then it kind of became like almost doing it on purpose to challenge myself and to challenge the notion of saying anything being all me um because it really isn't it's never never been you know i mean we could have done that there were actual opportunities early on to be this solo acoustic guy right and that never that was i just didn't want to do it it just you know it, it'll never be what I, i'll never be even like connor oberst i think it, it people just don't really think of us as a singer songwriter project and that's because other people have made my music not like that you know yeah totally no that's a really good point because that, that was actually something i was, I was going to ask where it's like you know i'm sure at one point there was that um you know that that dividing line where i'm sure people brought the brought up the idea of just like yes. well hey max how about you just do this as like your own thing and like you don't have to you know yeah. you don't have to call it anything you just call it yourself exactly. or whatever and so yeah, max famous so right, awkward. right. Um, that was how it started. Oddly enough, was that I I got an offer to, to be um, me, you know, and I guess they would have let me call it say anything, but we weren't really talking about that at that point. I literally almost got signed when I was fifteen before I had even played a show, and that's how I I didn't know I was good enough to play shows or be in a band, and that happened really weirdly. And then I was like, oh, okay. Well, I can do that. I got really close. I'm like, no, I just like Save the Day so much. I want to be like them. And, you know, formed a band that sounded a lot like Save the Day. Um, so, you know, well, it, it, it definitely, that's how it started. Right. Well, t tell me about that, because, I mean, that obviously is a weird experience. Like, yeah. doing, you know, yeah. whatever signed when you're 15. Like, so how did that yeah. even happen? Because you obviously weren't, like, going out there yeah. and, like, trying to no. make this no. thing. It was an arbitrary decision. Um, completely random that I, um, I was friends, online friends with like drive through records. Of course. And, 
and not even that I became online, but I was more like, I actually emailed them out of the blue and I'm like, can I use one of your band songs in my student film? I wanted to be a director. And then, um, they said, yeah, they're like, what's up? This is cool. Like, you know, you know, you, you direct films. I'm like, yeah, I also like write a little music. Um, you guys ever want to hear it? You know, I'm like a total little fanboy. Like, no, you know, right. I would like, I wouldn't even do that now cause I'd be too embarrassed, but I did it then. And they're like, Hey, you know, just whatever. Come by the office and play us something. And then my mom drove me to their offices and I played them like really nervously a few songs and they're like, we'll sign you. Um, and that was just the crit that, that moment actually stands out. Cause that <laughs> I'd was, say so. yeah, it was, it was insane. I was freaking out. I was freaking out. Um, getting to go home. They like, let me pick all the records. I got them for free CDs and the new film <laughs> glory are expanded. Of course. <laughs> totally. And, um, and I was just stoked. And then, you know, it kind of got to the point where it was do or die with that situation. And I was like, mm, I'm going to form a band. And, you know, they didn't even like the band. I think they were like, go back to being acoustic. Um, and they're really sweet, but they, you know, they, that they, it kind of like made a weird, awkward situation with them. And then I kind of just moved forward with the band and that was like a sluggish thing. We didn't get signed until I was 19. So, you know, it was like retreating and then building it up organically. That's yeah, that's wild because obviously at that time too, um, you know, yeah. you say drive through records now and obviously it's, yeah. it, it's meaningless to most people, but yeah. then yeah. like, you know, people of a certain age are just like, Oh, I mean, yeah. drive through records had a stage at warp tour, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, again, so- it was like such fucking blind luck. Like it was complete blind luck and timing, you know, like <laughs> right, right. if it had been drive through records, like it was even cool because it was at their like right of, pretty much at their peak or about to be peak of like becoming this weird phenomenon. Right. So, you know, I think had they been a little bigger, they wouldn't have randomly invited this kid to play for them or thought about signing him. And then, you know, and had they been any smaller, I don't know if I would have even heard of them. So it was, it was a lot of weird circumstances. Yeah, no, that's super weird. Um, there's a few things I want to hit on before I let you go, but the, um, sure. obviously you, uh, like you mentioned earlier, you have a, a passion for comics and comics, yeah. obviously, you know, usually when one likes independent music, they have read comics or been <laughs> yeah, involved totally in totally correlated. Because, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's an indoor kid activity. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously once you kind of got, to put your foot into that door was it one of those things where you i mean obviously you were excited to do it uh, but what did it feel Mm -hmm. like to obviously start to birth those ideas out in the world um it's been amazing uh again blind luck mixed with being lucky mixed with being obsessed with the actual art form um, equals what some people mistake for talent. Uh, right. so, uh, you know, I really just like read and read comics all day as like literally like homework. Like it's just an obsession. And so, you know, getting to do it, uh, again, there's been some trippy, I feel like I'm kind of at that pre is a real boy, but things are going pretty good stage with writing, you know, so there's still crazy things happening, like meeting people who like my writing, who are my favorite writers or people actually liking my comics or getting to work for Marvel and Avatar and companies that are my favorite comic companies. So 
I'm getting to do, you know, what I always wanted to do with it. Um, and actually the one thing that I've learned from it is, uh, from music and applying it to comics is not to do what I did with music where I get these things that make me happy because they're substantial, but I have this pressure to outperform myself and be, you know, so as I said, I was trying to be Bono at that. (laughs) So, so I don't, I don't want to necessarily be wonderful to have any kind of massive success with comics. And if it happens, I'm definitely not going to turn away from it. But at the same time, like on being on this path now, the things that are happening, you know, I have a new plugging it, a comic coming out from Marvel. Um, that's my first, they're letting me write an ongoing series. So it's huge. They cancel it. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they cancel, it'll still get to like go on. Yeah. Be a certain amount of issues. Um, so, which I, you know, hopefully it won't. I really, I like it. I think it's good. But, um, and are you just, you know, and so, to be, to be clear, you're, you're doing the writing for it and obviously working with Yeah, art. just, oh yeah, terrible artist. Right, uh, right, right. Uh, yeah, all writing. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's been great. I, I, I have no complaints. It's, again, it feels similar to how I, when I started out doing music and things, cool things were happening. So it's a trip. It's at that good place where the things that are happening are moderate and cool and they're what I wanted and it's not smoke being blown up my ass. So right. it's nice. Well, <laughs> and I, and I, honestly, I really like how you put it in regards to the fact that you, you know, you're whatever, now that you're obviously older and obviously in a stable place, you have the ability yeah. to, like you said, not be, not overshoot yourself, not be like, all right, well, cool. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, overthrow Stan Lee real quick here. Um, yeah, yeah. Or try to have, you know, the walking dead happen right. to me. <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, it's also easy for me to say, because a lot of comic writers, this is where they make all their money and support their family. So of course they want you know, success more than me. Um, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I, sometimes I look at these dudes who are like clamoring for Hollywood attention and trying to sell their shit as a movie. Right. They want to get get IP out there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. IP. I just want to be like, dude, like you do not, you don't want this shit. No, I, no, not really. But I want to say like, slow it down like you know it could happen but like this is not cool what you're doing is cool right now right if that happens it's super cool in a weird way and awesome like the walking dead is awesome like robert kirkman's the man but like he still writes sick comics that's why that happened and if he wrote boring comics or became obsessed with media um i think everyone would know and kind of be a little sicked out and i do see some of that in comics and it definitely sicks me out Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, in most subcultures, you can you can draw parallels between uh, the people that are doing that for the right reasons. I mean, honestly, independent, yeah, independent comics are exactly like independent bands, where it's like you can see the cool publishing houses that are doing really interesting things, and obviously employing yeah. people that have an original voice, and they're not chasing anything besides just telling their stories. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, you can feel it in the comic even. And the thing is, is like I I even like like some of the ones that I could tell are trying to become IPs, you know, like (laughs) some of them are, some of them are, yeah, some of them are still so good. It doesn't matter. And then they're cool. But, you know, I think the general vibe is like just the love of the art, you know, the more love of the art is in there, the better it's going to be. And the more real and the more connecting, it's going to be long lasting as well. Right. Right. Totally. Um, 
and so the the uh, obviously you know kind of focusing in on the fact that I mean like you mentioned you you you've been married for many years now. How long have you been married? Yeah, it's going on. I think it's like eight years now. Right, and you and you have yeah, seven or eight years. You have three kids or four kids. I have two. Two. Okay. Have, uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to put more. One. There. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I'm working on it. Sort of. Not yet. Right. Yeah. Right. But eventually. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I just, I mean, obviously, stability for people of any walk of life, as far as their mental health yeah. is concerned, is always a uh, you know a welcome change. And like you mentioned, obviously, your wife was able to pull you through a lot of the uh, the dark times from that perspective. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, is it is it one of those things where like you look at the, obviously the stability you have in regards to your family now, um, and. Yeah you're in some respects do you wish that you obviously had that when you were a little bit younger or is it like okay yeah yeah or, or, or i, I you, don't or, yeah okay, that's good. a good question that's a really good question and i don't at all i don't regret anything in my life and in fact when i met sherry um it was kind of like fate rewarding me versus like fate um being like get get your crap together now you know, like you need, and then like get being with her and then like she fixed me or something like she does fix me in a way all the time, but that, that's still going on. You know, it's, a, um, by the time I, in, in a broader sense, in terms of taking care of myself and being centered, that happened a little bit before I met her, not much long. It was really a pretty short gap, but it was definitive as to when I kind of turned things around. Um, and there was a chance I could have lost it again if I didn't meet her. That's a big deal. But I really think those things happen to people and you get stability when you kind of build it in your own mind and you're ready for, you know, I, I'm not saying it's impossible for someone to come really broken into a relationship and grow. But I mean, I think part of why me and Sherry, you know, worked out so well is because we both had been through a lot, but we also were like, knew what we wanted. Um, and we had the will, you know, it's hard to just not have the will to be safe and have a safe environment, like you're saying, without knowing you want it, you know, and I wanted all this stuff so much. Um, and now I'm living in it and it's wonderful. And, you know, I don't kid myself then it's always what I wanted. I just basically spent three years kind of numbing myself and forgetting and also being distracted by my mental illness. Uh, Um, but, uh, you know, so, so I had to kind of come back 360 and realize that stuff before I could even be in a relationship. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things where you feel, uh, you know, certain things come at a time at a place and you're just like, Oh dude, I'm I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I didn't meet this person back then. Uh, because I probably wouldn't have liked them, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I I would have liked her. But she, I don't she think she would have liked me. The last thing I want to pull on was just something uh, interesting that you mentioned earlier in regards to obviously like, you know, like premonitions, magic, like obviously how that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, relates to your spiritual belief. Um, so, yeah. I mean, do, do you self-identify, I guess, because obviously you were raised yeah. Jewish and that, that faith yeah. was an important part of your life. Um, oh yeah. Is it, I mean, is it still, is it one of those things where it's just kind of like, it's a weird thing for you to define at this point or kind of where does your head sit? Um, I, I identify as Christian, but, um, it's kind of like, it's funny. Um, you know how there's kind of a, a, a revolution in terms of people and, uh, gender and sexuality and labels and people realizing that how little, um, what you're assigned 
means and how, how much more important it is what you decide it means is to you. Like when I was younger and I heard the word Christian, I was like, Oh fuck those people. Um, and even today there are people when I think of what some people think of as Christians, um, I go fuck those people. But for me, I'm, I'm, I, if you were to get real with it, it would be a lot more of an agnostic sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I connect to Jesus's teachings um, more than any of the other like prophets. It doesn't really matter to me whether he was like God incarnate on Earth or anything. Um, he could have been, I'm like a really weird dude. So I believe in aliens and shit. He could have been, but at the same time, he could have just been this cool, sweet dude who had all these teachings about peace and acceptance. And those are the things that like connect most with me. So, I mean, and I am spiritual. I believe in like universal oneness and I don't mind calling that God, you know, Mm -hmm. but at the same time I can relate to atheism. I can relate to nihilism. I can relate to pretty much anything. And I, the reason I identify as a, as a Christian is because I don't think I shouldn't be allowed to. It really is the thing I connect to the most. Totally. Um, well, so, the, so mean, you know, like they would, yeah. The, I mean, the thing is, I, I, I like you, obviously the way that you're describing that, because I mean, it's a process. Yeah. Like there's so many, uh, yeah. there's so many pieces of not only religion, but obviously the human experience yeah. That everything yeah. isn't black and white. Like you can, you can identify. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, you can identify as a Christian, but you don't necessarily need to believe. You know, uh, every right. gay people go to hell. Exactly. <laughs> every, every letter of the Bible yeah. is is this thing, and it's just like, well, no, I don't right. feel right with that. And it's like, well, then that's yeah, that's your truth. You know. Yeah, exactly. And you can you can change your mind at any given time. There's no, you know, more than anything, I'm an anarchist. Um, that's what I connect to the most spiritually and politically and i just believe that you define your own world I, you know constructs are bullshit um and if you choose to put a label on something it's because you want to and it makes you feel comfortable as long as it's not hurting someone else you know um so like a furry you know if you're a furry you got a lot more going on than just the fact that you happen to you know like to hump in in bunny costumes you know there's there's lots of ways to hump in bunny costumes first of all um you know preference of animal um you know but but like you know there's your personality too and and all these other things beyond the furry so i you know again like i i think these little surface level qualities don't shouldn't be definitive of nothing is really definitive in this world um except for being alive i'm starting to get weird i'm starting to get really too deep (laughs) dude dude that we're we're all in this once you get into making the furry allegory is when you know you need to stop and so i'm just gonna (laughs) shut the fuck up (laughs) but that 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 means max we've arrived at a beautiful friend Well, no, I honestly, I really appreciate it. And that's why, I mean, I was excited. Oh, of course. To, I was excited course. to have you because I know that, uh, oh, thank you. you're, uh, the way that you think about things is, uh, you know, is, is obviously not quote unquote normal, but at the same time, Definitely it's not. extremely <laughs> compelling and interesting. So thanks for hanging oh, out. Oh, thank dude. you, man. Thank you. Yeah. It's been great. And, uh, have a good night. Come on. Right. So good. Thank you so much, Max. And thank you very much, Rich, for pulling this together. An amazing publicist who, uh, yeah, he just doesn't mess around. He's able to hook things up. So I appreciate that because it makes my life easier. And, um, yeah, we get to have these rad conversations. So 
Visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. You can always listen to the music that is created for this show via an amazing musician named Lowercase Noises. Lowercase Noises. Just find it on Facebook. You can find it on Bandcamp in many places, and you'll be able to experience more music along those lines. And um, should I tell you the guest next week? Uh, Yeah, I will, because that's what I do now. So the guest next week is my old, old friend, and not because he's old himself. He's younger than me. Technically, I'm old, but... Uh, we've just known each other for quite some time. And um, that is Evan Weiss from Intuit Over It. I had him on a different incarnation of the podcast a long, long, long time ago. And I've always been like, I need to have him back on. I need to have a proper conversation with uh, one-on-one him and I. And um, it, it, was fr- it was beautiful. So anyways, that's next week. And I will talk to you uh, then. So be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.